0: episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Cianfoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest in this episode is Paul Zumo, Director for Research and Development at APPA, who is here to discuss a new report he prepared about electrification. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh,
1: Thanks, Paul. I'm glad to be here.
0: Great. So, Paul, uh, to get our conversation started, can you offer an overview of what we're talking about when we say electrification? How is electrification defined, and what end-use technologies are we talking about when it comes to electrification?
1: Sure. Uh, When we're talking about electrification, we're looking at transferring the sort of end-use energy from fossil, traditionally fossil resources, to electricity. Uh, So I think the primary example of this that most people are familiar with are probably electric vehicles. Uh, For years, uh, cars were um, run by uh, by fuel, by uh, by oil and gas, um, with the internal Combustion engine, uh, and now we have uh, increasing number of cars that are fueled by electricity as, as opposed to uh, internal combustion engines. Um, probably, what's actually more prevalent, though less talked about, is uh, space heating. So, for most homes, and especially in the Northeast and in other parts of the country, are fueled by uh, the heating is fueled by gas and oil. Um, but in an increasing amount of houses' uh, heating is now fueled by electricity. So that's what we're really referring to here.
0: So just drilling down into the report itself, it details potential benefits and challenges tied to electrification. Can you offer additional details on those potential benefits as well as uh, challenges facing electrification?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, in terms of benefits, uh, I would uh, first and foremost is increased efficiencies. Um, if you look at uh, electrified end uses, um, EVs, space heating in particular, um, the final energy used from those sources is less than from traditional energy sources from fossil fuels. Um, you get an amount of, a good amount of fuel savings as well because you're not actually using as much energy to produce the the, um, the final product, uh, so that 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 is a big improvement. Well, relatedly, you also have um, potential reductions in CO2 emissions. Forty um, percent of the, the nation's generation is now coming from fossil fuel resources, such as uh, fossil free. Re- excuse me, CO2 uh, non-emitting resources such as nuclear and hydro and and solar and wind. Um, so. An increasing amount of, of electric electric use is, is uh, CO2-free. But even um, end uses electric end-uses that are powered by, say, natural gas, when you compare them on a per-BTU basis, or if you compare cars, electric vehicles powered by natural gas versus in the internal combustion engine uh, – you actually have fewer emissions from natural gas than you would from those traditional resources. Um, so, reduction in CO two emissions is is one of the things uh, I think motivating a move towards electrification. And then, um, you have potential cost savings over the lifetime of a product. You know, we mentioned I mentioned before f- increased efficiencies. So, because of those increased efficiencies, um, you actually wind up with spending less for an electrified space pump, space pump or a space heating pump than you would for a, a traditional space heating uh, pump. Certainly with electric vehicles now, especially with gas prices where they have been in 4 to $5 a gallon, um, the more you drive, especially uh, the, 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 the comparative cost of fueling your car with electric, especially if you're c- charging at home, uh, can be significant. Um, if you're driving enough, you're, you might be looking at right now uh, I certainly am, as someone who drives an EV, a fuel savings of maybe $150 a month, conservatively. Um, and then, frankly, I, I, an added benefit is, I think, a better, um, more efficient product, uh, better driving experience. Uh, EV cars are actually fun to drive, frankly. I think it's uh, something that gets underreported. Um, I, I even have an electric mower. And frankly, I find it more efficient than a traditional mower. So I think there's actually some efficiencies there. In terms of challenges, though, as much as the potential lifetime savings are significant, the upfront costs for these technologies are still higher. Um, The costs are coming down due to uh, decreased battery prices, but you're still looking at uh, buying an EV, probably, compared to a, a comparable... A uh, traditional vehicle, you're still maybe spending as much as $10,000 more uh, in a lot of cases for a, a comparable vehicle. And then the cost of retrofitting and uh, putting in new appliances. Um, in some of these cases, the the new the space heaters might be more than traditional space heaters. So the upfront cost is still a challenge. One challenge that is, um, I think, being improved on... Compared to earlier technologies is, is with space heating itself. In cooler climates, it, they are a little bit less efficient, especially as I said, the space heating can be a little bit less effective in those in those climates. The new technologies are, are, are improving and they're getting better, but they're still, it's a little bit more challenging to heat your home with electric in Minnesota uh, than, say, in Alabama. Um, it's also true of electric vehicles. The battery life or um the range of a car definitely gets reduced in cold weather i've seen my range reduce on a drive 10 to 15% compared to uh driving it this time of year and I would also just add, and this is, I think, the widely reported, is just the charging infrastructure is still limited uh, for electric vehicles. Um, you go out for a long drive, uh, it is a challenge to find the charging infrastructure. Again, I think these and all the other challenges are being addressed, and I think we're seeing improvements. We're seeing more um, grant money from the federal government and from other resources going to charging infrastructure. Um, as for fast charging, for for those of us who who want to go for longer drives, don't have or or don't have access to home charging, um, but this, there's a long way to go there.
0: Great. Now, uh, the, there may be some redundancy here, so I apologize in advance if there is. But um, the, the report uh, identifies at least three major hurdles that need to be overcome to realize wider adoption of electrification. Could you specify what those hurdles are? Uh,
1: sure. And as you said. It, this is a little bit of overlap what I just mentioned, but uh, to get into more specifics, you know, the first one is really the costs associated with retrofitting from um, going from um, uh, traditional home heating, especially to to new sources of electric heating. Um, it's more expensive if you've got um, you already have an existing home, you've been living in it, and your equipment is a certain amount of uh, certain age. Um, it's more. It's more expensive to then change from, say, a gas-powered uh, heater or a gas-powered stove to one that is electric fueled. Um, it's more expensive than if you have a new build. If you have a new build, um, it is less expensive to develop that. Um, but it's. Uh, but it still can be a little bit more expensive. One study suggests it's a few dollars more on a kind of a per um, uh, on a per megawatt basis. Um, one estimate of the the amount of appliances we'd have to retrofit over the next decade to move to kind of an all-electric heating is about 80 million appliances in 50 homes just over the next decade at a cost of anywhere from about nine to twenty-six point five billion dollars per year. So that definitely is going to make sense. That's gonna be born it can be born by the government, maybe born by utilities, it may be born by customers, but that certainly is going to be a cost. Um, the second one would be supply chain. And, of course, this is impacting us on all levels, and people are familiar with some of the supply chain problems we've had in other areas. But it certainly is impacting um, electrification as well, particularly as related to electric vehicles specifically. Um, you look at where the products that go into making batteries are made Um, Lithium and cobalt and nickel and all of the elements are made in areas primarily halfway around the world. So you're looking at very long supply chains in terms of shipping that over. And that's in areas where we have friendly relations. And then you add the complication that in some of these areas, the mining is taking place in areas that have uh, geopolitical turmoil, uh, maybe have civil strife maybe employing, employing child labor, um, or we or in areas where uh, the United States is perhaps um, having some uh, geopolitical issues as well. Um, so that is an issue. You're seeing costs have been com- declining, as I mentioned before, pretty significantly over the last decade. But now we're starting to see that cool off. And in fact, we're seeing some prices go up because of the increased demand. And related to that, we have a particular demand for lithium not just because of cars but you add on top of that we're looking to move towards more energy storage and of course most most of the storage um, that we're developing is 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 based on uh, lithium ba- ba- lithium ion batteries so all of this increased demand is just going to put more pressure on uh, we're looking at perhaps at least a seven fold increase over the next several years in the amount of lithium demand. And so there is an issue as to whether or not even the places which have plentiful supplies, whether or not that may dwindle and we may face uh, real supply chain shortages over the next few years. Um, and then lastly is just the fact that we don't have a very great domestic supply. So we are reliant on uh, foreign imports. Now, it's possible and, and there are plans for us to increase the domestic supply, for example, of lithium. But looking at some of the reports I've read... Um, it's, it's definitely not enough for us to totally supply our need domestic need anyway for for lithium and I think the third one is is also related to the cost but not just cost. It's just gonna be the challenge of increased demand and just the challenge of integrating these resources onto the grid um We're looking at a uh, it's one estimate of five to seven thousand terawatt hours of increased demand. Um, with all of these resources over the next 20 to 30 years. Um, the, I guess, good news is that with some of these resources, like like electric vehicles, because of the incentives that we put in place with time of use rates and other things, just because we're increasing the amount of energy that's being used doesn't necessarily mean we have to increase the amount of capacity because we could spread out the usage of these resources um, so that you can have more charging taking place, for example. Um, off-peak at different hours of the day. So we're not putting an an increased strain on the peak demand. But we're still going to probably have increased peak demand. We're going to have to have capacity increases, um, even if we are able to shift some of this usage. And and that's the other issue, is we won't be able to shift all of our usage. Uh, If you have more people fast charging, they're going to probably do that in the middle of the day, rather at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day. So that will be occurring during peak demand charge. And of course, if you have electrified resources like space heating, that, of course, could be spread out through the day and might incorporate more um, peak times. But even if it is spread out and we have more charging that's taking place off peak, you still have increased demand on certain, um, especially you look at residential areas, which were not necessarily designed for as much potential uh, capacities we, we're going to need on those uh, on the infrastructure. Uh, so we're already, already several utilities who have a lot of uh, you, um, EV demand right now are already looking at increased costs associated with increasing their distribution capacity. Um, so that is going to be um, require a huge investment in terms of both transmission and distribution. Um, there are ways to ameliorate these challenges especially with demand as i mentioned you have uh possibilities for energy efficiency incre- improvements and other ways to mitigate the 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 strain on the grid but i think there's no way to get around at least some level of need uh, of uh, there's, not, there's no way to get around the need for at least some level of increased investment in uh, tr- transmission distribution resources and generation resources at increased capacity to accommodate all of these uh, new demands.
0: So in, in reviewing the report um, to prepare for this interview and also actually to write a story in our, in our newsletter, one of the things that, that jumped out at me was the, um, the fact that it, it, it broke out uh, trends related to electrification at state and regional levels. And you alluded uh, earlier to, um, you know, cooler climates, for example, in the context of, of electrification. So, could you detail how um, electrification
1: trends at state and regional levels are are addressed in the report? Sure. Um, I mainly focused on space heating because trends in electrification for for EVs is um, it's not all that different, depending on the state. Uh, Obviously, California has outstripped most of the rest of the nation in terms of uh, electric vehicles. But if you look at the rest of the states, it kind of, electric vehicle registrations are more or less in line with uh, uh, population. You don't see dramatic differences. Maybe some states less than their you know, their share. Maybe some so a few states with more, like Washington State, for example, or more, more or less EVs. Or uh, and they're also only – there's still only 2%, 3 4% of the market. Whereas you look at um, space heating, which has really taken off over the last half century. We went from virtually nothing that ha- in the 50s and 60s to uh, a much more – a much higher percentage of homes that are heated by electricity, especially in the southeast and the north – excuse me, in the southeast and the midwest – Areas of the country that have sort of increased the population more recently have newer housing stocks, so they tend to have more um, electrified heating resources. And so what I'm going to do is take a look more closely to see um, if there are any impacts, uh, if there's any notable correlation, for example, between electric pricing and temperatures and how much of, of the end usage of uh, most, most homes is, is electric. And what I found is uh, if you look at, for example, um, electric rates, um you the states that tend to have lower electric rates also tend to have higher rates of electrification and there you know how much of that is correlation or causation would be the source of an entirely different paper but it is noted notable uh and fairly consistent with a few exceptions that the the lower the average rate is in the state the higher the percentage of final energy usage is electric um, not just how much is your – how many – what percentage of homes are electrified, but just what is the total end usage of energy, how much of that is electric. Um, one exception is Hawaii, but Hawaii is a state where even though a majority of homes are not fueled by – are not heated by electric, because there's such little heating demand in Hawaii, the percentage of electricity in the state is actually the highest in the country, uh, and and even though they have the highest electric rates in the country. Uh, but they have they don't necessarily have the highest bills which I'll get to in a moment. They also did a correlation between temperature and um and and, and electrification. That wasn't even a high, that the linear graph there is even more striking. Essentially the higher the average annual temperature the more the higher the percentage of of final energy that is electrified so it's cooler climates where you find most of the final energy is is not electric and some of that is also because heating takes up um, more um, energy than does cooling cooling load is a little bit less demanding Uh, so if you're so that there's also another explanation for that so there's and as I mentioned before, traditionally, electrified space heating hasn't been as efficient in cooler climates. As I said, that's also changing. Uh, and so what it comes down to, if you look at prices, um, it, you know it's an old saw that people do not pay rates. They pay bills. So what does that look like at the end of the day for customers in the states where they tend to have higher rates of electrification? Um, they have lower bills electric, excuse me, they have lower electric rates, so that helps mitigate some of the, and since a higher percentage of their final energy use is electricity, at the end of the day, if you look at it, most of the states with higher rates of electrification all have final, lower final total energy bills. When I mean total energy bills, I mean the total cost of heating your home and and providing electricity. Uh, The higher cost states are those with at, and the higher cost states for all energy usage tend to be in states with lower levels of electrification so that has um, i think inter- interesting ramifications going forward that the more we electrify we could lead that could actually lead to reductions in 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 overall energy bills also there's a greater potential in some of these states that have lower rates of of electrification to electrify so there's some interesting uh, nuggets in there
0: so one thing that I just uh, that I just thought of is, um, I mean, with your last answer, it sounds like there's plenty of uh, fodder for additional follow up. Um, do you anticipate um, a a uh, follow up report at some point on electrification?
1: I think if there's demand for it, <laughs> sorry not to use a pun here, but uh, if there is demand for it, I, I think I would like to follow up. I would. I think there's a lot of interesting. Issues that we could further address. Um, one thing in the paper that I um, alluded to uh, towards the end, it didn't do a lot of discussion of, was the changing capacity in the United States. Um, we are moving towards a grid that is even more uh, power, uh, more and more powered by by renewables. So what that entails for electrification is significant. So I think exploring how the changing grid, especially the changing Fuel and generation resources are going to impact electrification, and how that may have, may even provide uh, a better case for electrification. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, beneficial electrification because it's going to be more, um, will, will produce fewer emissions even than, than electrification does now. So I think that's worth investigating. But I also think some of the challenges are worth investigating as well, uh, frankly. I think especially when I look at the supply chain issues, you know, I think all of the hurdles and challenges I mentioned, they're being addressed. And I think there are ways to ameliorate all of these and, and to, to come up with solutions. But I think the most challenging one might be the supply chain, frankly. Um, and it's something that doesn't get addressed quite a lot. So I think there is something there um, um, that down the road that it might be worth continuing to keep our eye on uh, because the supply chain issue is, is impacting almost every facet of our lives. Uh, and so certainly it's going to, it, it, and this is no exception on this issue. So I think that's something that may, uh, we'll keep our eyes on and may, may, may necessitate a further report.
0: Great. Um, So where can APPA members get a copy of the new
1: report? Sure. If you go to our website, uh, it's uh, publicpower.org. You can uh, look under the topics header, and then it should be, you should be able to locate it under grid modernization.
0: Paul, thanks so much for this very illuminating conversation. Uh, It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Um, Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. Public Power Now comes to you from the American Public Power Association and is produced by APPA Digital Content Director David Blayton. I'm Paul Chipotle, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power.